0: Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely, to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Naran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So
1: how are you doing this morning? Good. Although I'm I'm sad because we're we're broadcasting over John and I's one on one. And uh <laughs> I was I had a, an important agenda item for, for our meeting. So
2: we can either make it public or reschedule it.
1: Well <laughs> probably <laughs> probably both. So so I bought. Uh, you probably saw from some of my posts. I bought uh, equipment to do the pour over coffee. Yes. And it's. Uh,
2: I'm, very, I'm very excited you got into this.
1: I, I'm trying. It's very complicated, and um, I, I I don't know how, how much I like it. And I had a. So I think I may have mentioned in the past. I have a a buddy named Paul um, who lives in Austria. He works for a coffee analytics company. And, uh, he's, he's the one that really pushed me to get into it. And we were chatting, um, last night because I was up way too late because my kids were wired with sugar, but we were, uh, we were on WhatsApp last night chatting. Um, and apparently it's the, I have selected at least to begin with the wrong, the wrong bean and, and the wrong roast, um, that with with pour over, and, and I'm sure someone that's like an expert would just be laughing right now. Um, you you tend to want to go with a lighter roast on the bean, uh, but everything that I could find locally without having to order it online um, was medium to to dark roast. So mm. I just bought a medium roast, and it was just it was too strong for me. Yeah, that's so. Anyway. Yeah, different, from a, different,
2: different beans you, uh, are best brewed differently. Yeah, different methods.
1: Yeah, you know. So I'm I'm showing my uh, lack of sophistication that normally I just grab something off the shelf and throw it in my machine and it makes it and it's really tasty. Uh, but now that I have more control over it, I guess I need to be a lot more discerning about the actual bean that I I pick. So, but from a from an analytics perspective, it's very fascinating because I I have this little notebook where I'm keeping track of all of the variables of each of the brews that I do to, to see if mm-hmm. I can tweak a little thing here or there and what it uh, it does to the flavor. So you mentioned yesterday stirring the bloom. Uh, I saw a guy online who, who recommends stirring after the final pour. Uh, my friend Paul likes to let it sit eight to 10 minutes after the um, brew before he drinks it. So there's so many different factors that subtly change the uh the 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 flavor of any given bean so it's it's totally. from that perspective it's very it's very interesting
2: i actually like it for the maybe the opposite reason too to me like it's the the ritual of of doing it's a little it's common yeah it can be it is it Once is you, i get um, to figure out whatever you want to do
1: yeah and that's that's some of the feedback that i saw going into it was that if you're expecting just to make a quick you know, cup of coffee, this, this isn't for you. It's, it is really more of a, a a ritual. It takes more, more time. And when I started doing it in the morning, it was definitely a change in pace. Again, I, um, I have an espresso machine and I just usually, you know, pop the thing in and it makes my, my cup of coffee and, you know, 30 seconds later I'm, I'm drinking it. But this is uh, this is quite the process. It's not anything huge, but it's a good ten to fifteen minutes by the time I've I've got everything in place and cleaned up. And um, I, I found that I'm enjoying the process actually more than the cup of coffee. So I'm hoping yeah. the new beans that Paul sends me, uh, I'll enjoy both the process and the cup of coffee.
2: It's the journey, not des- not the destination. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. <laughs> totally so anyway that's that's really my, the most important thing that i wanted to talk, talk about on our uh, one-on-one today so okay yeah i haven't been uh, we, we do really
2: we do real work too
1: we do we do but you know <laughs> um being properly caffeinated and having good beverages is is good yeah. i i've been uh not on a, a as heavy a Thai iced tea kick lately as the temperature has cooled drastically, and it hasn't seemed as <laughs> as seductive as it did in the summer. Yeah. But I'm still <laughs> enjoying good, it here and there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, sorry to uh, overrun your <laughs> podcast material here, Jim, with 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 coffee talk.
0: Ah, no 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 worries because I agree you definitely need to be properly caffeinated and today I'm definitely uh dragging a bit with a little too much candy last night uh, <laughs> I was sitting out front handing out candy and it's kind of like a one for you one for me one for you another for me you know
1: people as, as a... should know that jim is really a big kid at heart
0: i I, I kind of am yes <laughs> <laughs> there's no question about it <laughs> what is I, your favorite candy? Oh, Reese's peanut butter cups, no doubt, hands down. Nice. Um, and you know anything with with chocolate and peanut butter. So, Butterfingers are also good, peanut butter M and M's, but Reese's peanut butter cups are my favorite. Classic. <laughs> so, um, so, so definitely uh, it. it, it it wasn't fun getting up this morning. You know, the, the stomach was just like you know, that, that gurgling feeling, you know, with just too much sugar sitting in there overnight. So, uh, <laughs> definitely need some extra coffee uh, to get moving this morning.
1: Totally. So, what's so our... other than coffee, what's our topic for today?
0: So, the title of today's episode, I want to call it I just inherited an analytics implementation. Now, what? So think about it this way. You've just started a new job and it could either be, you know, as the analytics uh, manager or director or coming in as an architect. So there's two different perspectives there. And you're coming into a position where an analytic solution was designed and implemented by one of your predecessors. What are some of the critical first steps that you need to take now that you own it? Um, What are some of the common uh, missteps in this kind of scenario? Because again, you know, if you're thinking like, you know, an analytics manager or director, the organization is expecting you to deliver insights on the business from something that you weren't involved in designing and building. Same thing with the architect. The org is expecting you to vouch for the integrity of the data that's coming out of it, as well as continuing to, to mature it. So you've just stepped into this position where do you start?
1: Can I, can I throw another lens on this that I think we should look at it under? Sure. Because I see this happening a lot as well. So one of the things that we know is an issue that is slowly getting better, but still is, is definitely an issue that plagues many companies is the lack of depth of analytics talent at a company. And I don't mean depth of, um, from a certain person perspective, but just depth and number of people that are invested in within the analytics organization. And oftentimes it it's one person, even at at some fairly large companies that we've seen and, and that we've had the opportunity to work directly with it's one single person that's running all things analytics. And when that person leaves and the business struggles to replace them, oftentimes it's the VP of marketing, it's maybe even the CMO, someone in the marketing organization is said, is told, hey, can you guys take over this analytics implementation? And it's a shock to them. And I think that that's a whole other lens that we can look at it under.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so we'll definitely keep that in mind as well. Um. So where would you like to start then?
1: Well, so let's, let's start from the, uh, the analytics perspective, because I, I, you know, that's where we have the the most experience. That's our, our background. Um, and I would say that the number one thing that, well, I'll, I'll focus on what I see happening and then, you know, we can share experiences of, of, you know, what you see happening or what we think is the best approach to, to address that. But the number one thing that I see happen, and I'll compare it to maybe a coach in for a sports team inheriting a new team. So let's say midway through the season, your favorite team fires their head coach and they hire a new one. Uh, a lot of times, they want to come in and make it their own, and and we see that same with with analytics. So oftentimes, when someone comes in and inherits an existing analytics solution, they they instantly want to make it their own. I think it's it's human nature. You want to do things that. Um, feel good and right to you and 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 honestly that's one of the things we see happen the most is uh, i've inherited a new implementation i'm going to come in and kind of start tearing everything down and rebuilding it in in my image and sometimes that is good and and sometimes that is bad where we've seen that fail is where people have a lack of experience in a particular industry and they're moving industries so i've got hired for a new job um, let's say I I worked in healthcare previously and now I'm taking over a e-commerce site. Uh, a lot of times that initial I'm going to tear things down and rebuild them the way I want them are done based on our previous experience. And, and sometimes, you know, lacking that experience. Uh, causes some serious problems. On the other side, it, it can have some serious upsides. You know, we tend to only work in one industry. We, we, we see things from only one perspective. So getting an outside view of things can, can definitely be good. Um, but I think we need to be really careful in those first hours to, to see, you know, what, what we want to do and what we want to keep. So it really begs for uh, almost an independent assessment of, of what we have and make some really, um, guided decisions on changing things. So, um, I, I worry about just changing things to change things, uh, just because it's a a new inheritance.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, I, when I think of this, this topic too, I mean, there's three things that come to mind like immediately. The first one is that, um, no implementations ever perfect, no matter, um, you know, one that inherited, even when you know you built, there's like it's always a work in progress, or maybe you know something was done incorrectly, but nothing's ever perfect. I think the second one, kind of Jason's point too, is that there's um, multiple ways potentially to 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 get at the same answer, implementation-wise. I think so. Like there's different styles of, of implementations, obviously, and maybe one is not the style that you're accustomed to, but it makes and you know it might be different, maybe less than ideal, but it still may be workable. Um, Which kind of leads into the third thing, which is that I think no matter how bad an implementation might be, I feel like you can always still extract insights from it. Maybe not everything um, that the business wants to know, but you can always get to some degree of, uh, of getting in that direction, at least to me.
1: Yeah, you you no you you brought up a couple of good talking points and um Jim remember your thoughts so I don't cut you off but I want to get these out there before before I forget them. So on on that last one, I think that that could probably be a whole episode in and of itself. It's it's something that that I see all the time that I don't have a perfect quote-unquote implementation. So therefore we have to get it perfect before we can ever start using the data. And in instances like that, on the extreme, I've seen companies where they never end up using the data because there really never is a perfect implementation. It just doesn't exist. And, and that isn't to say that's an excuse to forego quality and forego looking at the data with a critical eye. Uh, by all means, you know, things should be refined over time and we should uh, constantly be refining and cleaning up, um, implementations. But that is one thing that I see trip up so many organizations where the, everything has to be 100% perfect before we can use it. And sadly, a lot of organizations never do use it because of that. And so uh, I, I think that that's a, a really good point. And now I, I rambled so long, I forgot my first point, but you brought up another one and it will come back to me. So Jim, go ahead and jump in with your thought.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to go back a bit to the whole, like tearing it down um, and tearing it down and as part of the first step. Cause I totally get when someone comes in, they want to put their stamp on it. They want to put their signature on it, but I have seen situations where someone comes in and their first step without even looking into anything is to rip it apart and uh, try completely try to rebuild it. And I think you know the, the, the big mistake there is it, it could be a waste of time because it, um, there's other ways to put your stamp on it, to put your signature on it without having to completely start over. And chances are there's certain things done a certain way just because there's interest, intricacies within the organization that you just don't know yet. And what's going to happen is, is if you start ripping everything apart, you're ultimately going to have to go back and rebuild what you ripped apart, because what you're assuming you're going to do may not necessarily work.
1: Yeah. So you just, you just gave my, my point for me. That was the exact, <laughs> other one that, no, that's that's perfect. That's the exact other one that, that I was thinking about. And I have a little story that can help illustrate that and, and, and show how I was guilty of that um, previously, because it, it is so easy to do. E- early on in my consulting career, I was Uh, very guilty of that, where I would come into a new engagement with a client, I would look at the implementation and I would instantly start thinking really bad thoughts about the person, the agency, whoever did that before. I'm like, what are these guys idiots? Like, this is totally the wrong way to do it. Um, but something happened and this was many, many years ago. I was interviewing a potential candidate and I was having them review an implementation that I had, had done. Um, and their feedback was, you know, something along the lines that the person that did this implementation, you know, was, was new to the space and had no idea what they were doing. Um, and it, it really hit me that what, what you don't understand from the outside is all of those in- intricacies Jim that you mentioned and it's it's on the business side it's it's political it's on the technology side it's platform uh, challenges it's, it's business requirements that may seem straightforward but are very complex. So when you add all of these things together, it's it's near impossible to look from the outside and say, okay, this is a good implementation. This is a bad implementation because it's not just the code that you can see on the page. It's not just the data you can see collecting. You have to take into account the entirety uh, of everything. And, and implementation is just in part technical. It's it's also understanding people and motives. It's being able to na- navigate politics. It's being able to address very complex business problems within, you know, even though in SaaS um, B2B solutions, the, they tend to be highly configurable. You still have to work within, you know, predefined frameworks. So it, it makes implementation very, very challenging. And to, to take a harsh and critical view without really understanding all of those underlying details is, is simply unfair. And it, and it took that opportunity um, for me to notice that I had been doing that same thing. And I was, I was glad for that opportunity because it, it's simply not fair to, to judge it with such a simplistic
0: view. So, you know, so in this case, you know, talking about some of the missteps that you can make coming in, you know, the talking, you know, the, the first one here being burn everything to the ground. And, you know, th- th- that being like an initial gut reaction, what are some other missteps one could take? Um, maybe not as extreme as rip everything out, but, you know, coming in and inheriting something that's already been in place.
2: I think like that, that mentality overall, maybe I'm just widening your, your same point, but. Like the idea to rip everything down, um, implementation-wise, but I think also like business process-wise, potentially too, the reporting frameworks, whatever, uh, pers- uh you know, way you want to look at it. But I think the the idea of just not respecting what was done previously is kind of the the largest misstep. I mean, it applies mm-hmm. to like work, but also, I mean, life in general too.
0: Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah. but um, yeah, I think I think a lot. I you we have seen that a lot. I mean, I, I've definitely run into that a lot in my career. I mean, consulting world and before that, um, just like where people come in and think everything is wrong and it's just, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it seems very naive to me.
0: Yeah. Very early in my career, I ran into a few people who were like that, you know, they, they were brought in and yeah, they, um, you know, they, they came in with the, everything is wrong. Thought process. The way everybody is doing everything here is wrong. And I'm going to show you the right way to do it. And each time you know that happened, they ultimately, I don't want to say the word failed, but ran into a lot of heartache because, you know, exactly that, whether it was something political, something technical, whatever, they, you know, they quickly lost that bravado. So that that was impressed upon me very early in my career. And I'm like, just don't be that person. Don't be that person that comes in as the know-it-all and the let-me-show-you-how-to-do-it kind of mentality.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's a much wider discussion, but one of the things that we we all struggle with in the digital analytics space is the the overall lack of maturity. And while the software vendors have really upped their game, and while there are a few standouts, both individually and organizationally, uh, of doing some very mature, advanced things, if you if you look at our history, we haven't really come very far, unfortunately, uh, even though there are a few of those outliers. Um, even if we go back to 2004, which is not the start of, of this kind of sprint in the digital space, uh, that's a that's multiple lifetimes in the digital world. If you can look at other companies that have have come and like changed the landscape of the world in much uh, smaller time frame, and I, I truly believe that one of the the drivers of that is that there's so much movement of people in the space as as we've talked about a lot, and I've quoted kind of a. 18-month figure that I I picked up from Corey Prohens at Workforce IQ, uh, people move around a lot. And if we're not building on top of what our predecessors put in place and we're going back to start and then we build something and then by the time we're done, we move on. And then the person comes behind us and does the same exact thing. We're, we're making baby steps forward. We, we really do need to be looking for opportunities to build upon what our predecessors have have put in place. And unfortunately, you know, we've seen it from the services side. I've seen it um, being client side uh, where that just doesn't tend to, to happen. Um, it gets oftentimes torn down both technology, governance, reporting, how we look at data and, and we start from scratch. And and that's fine if if we're planning on being somewhere ten to fifteen years and we're going to really build on top of this foundation, but people aren't making that type of commitment, and it's it's doubly um, the 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 issue is is kind of magnified when we layer on top of it this issue of just lack of depth of of talent within um, an analytics organization. So if we have multiple people to kind of carry that through, maybe it survives. But when it's one two people and they tear everything down and leave, um, it, it literally is like starting over every time. And, and I don't think we've gotten to the place where we're advanced as, as we could have been,
0: um, if, if that weren't the case. So, you know, with, with that in mind, you know, um, you know, we've talked about the, 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 missteps and, you know, how, the, how they set people back from, you know, continuing to mature. You know, you know, within an individual organization or the industry overall. What are some of the key steps then that someone should take when coming in and inheriting something, so that they're not completely rebuilding, just for someone later also then to rip that down and rebuild again?
1: I, I think the first thing to do is do a proper assessment before you before you sell yourself on the fact that. This, this thing that I'm inheriting isn't in my image, isn't quote unquote right. Uh, to do a proper evaluation, you're you know hopefully you've got some kind of analytical background at, at heart and and you can put those skills to, to test and and really understand what is in place. Why does it look like this? Start asking probing questions rather than just making um, conclusions that you know why did they why did they collect this data this way? Ask the ask the question and figure out why there may be a very valid reason. Now you may have a more eloquent way of doing that, and that's great. But before you truly understand, it's it's difficult to to make that educated decision of what things do I want to change, what things do I want to keep the same, and what things do I want to just completely tear down and and start from scratch. So if if I was advising, um, and we do have the opportunity to do this, if I was advising someone that was taking over an implementation um that would be my my recommendation you know set set the expectation within the business that you're going to take and set a time frame two months three months and you're going to do a proper evaluation of everything and come up with a plan that you'll share with them uh so that to me is is the critical step and and maybe a 1a is properly communicating because as an analytics owner, you're, you're a business owner. You have customers within the organization that hopefully have a desire for your product. And if you show up and inherit it and you go into a shell for three months to make everything you know, click the way you want, that's also not setting the right tone. So you know, while, while doing that upfront assessment is critical, communicating to your stakeholders and your customers what your plan is, what the vision is, is, is equally as important.
2: Yeah, and I think the first step always is is definitely interviews. Like, I mean, just to, to, to harp on that point too, like just getting to really know everything and not coming in um, overly confident, overly aggressive, and trying to rip things up.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, interviews for from multiple standpoints: one, to have a a deeper understanding of what's happening, and two, to really start to build the relationships with with these teams you know owning owning an analytics implementation again i think the technical part of it is is really the small piece of it um, it's about it's about managing relationships it's about understanding complex challenges all of those things you have to understand that can then translate into a technical solution and so you know having conversations up front is 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 super super critical um and i would also add uh you know obviously depending on what the set expectations are for the role but taking ownership of the role um but in a way that is inclusive rather than exclusive and that's a misstep i've seen people make as as well in an attempt to kind of claim territory and and make a strong showing that i own this space they do so in a very exclusive way and you can't run a profitable analytics practice by being exclusive. You have to be inclusive because you're dependent on so many other people internally and externally to make it go that uh doing that right off the bat, excluding right off the bat, is is really a recipe for disaster.
2: I think sometimes a lot of analytics is actually um the underrated part is a lot of listening and interpreting um more than just executing in a sense. I don't know if that's controversial.
1: <laughs> I, I I don't think so. But it, but again, um, you know, I I look at at analytics as as something larger than just the technical implementation piece. Oh, for sure. And um, that's what, yeah. but a lot of a lot of companies and a lot of people don't. And and actually, that was one of the um, really long and deep conversations that we had about starting thirty three sticks. Was do we even want to get into implementation? And ultimately we decided we did, but only because it's a component of the larger thing that we're we're all trying to accomplish together. And when you look at it as just a technical piece, just writing code, that's where I think the the problems really start to to pop up. So uh, agreed. I, I, I think a, a great analytics implementer is an amazing listener. They're they're listening, they're thinking. And they're not just jumping in there and saying, okay, get out of the way. I know how to, you know, I don't know. I know how to populate EVAR5 or I know how to, you know, do advanced e-commerce and Google analytics, or I've worked with these, you know, other platforms. So just get out of my way. Those tend to ultimately end in, in disaster, a reorganization of teams and and oftentimes burning things down and starting from scratch. Yep. So maybe it's that simple it's not, but, uh, <laughs> it really is about, <laughs> you know, but I, I, think that that's the one thing that really is, is missing. And, and I, I, I want to believe that there are a few people that are coming in and doing that by design, but I just think most of the time, it's just, it's just naive. Um, it's naive, naive people being naive about what it takes. And, and part of that is just lack of, of, I don't want to say qualified, but experienced talent in the space. Um, Implementation, and this may be controversial, implementation tends to be um, a somewhat easy jumping off point from other work experience. So if I'm a company and I'm looking for an analytics implementer, um, you really need to hire a top in person in order to get the value that you're looking for out of your investment. I mean, companies are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and oftentimes more on software. Uh, you really need to invest in a, a real high-quality implementation person to drive the value out of that. But oftentimes, what happens is we see people making a jump from other industries, and it's it's often things like SEO or maybe coming from a support organization. And not that those things are bad, but they just lack depth of experience in implementation. And oftentimes, they're they're just naive to what it looks like. They've they've gone through trainings, they've read some you know blog posts, they you know thrown Google analytics on their blog and now, and now they're an expert. And, and that's, um, that's very problematic.
0: Or, you know, one of the, the things and this is getting very nuancy, I've seen a couple of times when it comes to that topic is, is, you know, I've implemented Google analytics time after time after time. So yes, I'm an expert in everything else as well so when we've come in we've seen say adobe implementations where someone has tried to implement it in the vein of google analytics because that's where they that's what they know and there are you know differences in, in the way you build it out so that's one specific way we've seen that manifest
1: for sure. Our, our past experience tends to shape how we look at, at things in the future and and oftentimes and and, and vice versa. Right. So um, if if we are heavily experienced in uh, in an Adobe analytics, we may try to mold other solutions to fit within that framework. And and that's where I think taking a tool driven approach is, is problematic. Um, and, and oftentimes that's, again, if I'm inheriting a new implementation and I come from a background from a specific tool that can be, uh, you know, a, a very real problem up front. So again, rather than trying to mold things based on your experience and knowledge alone, take a step back, take, take a deep breath, understand what you have in place. If it's a new technology, take some time to really understand the nuances of that technology before you make, start making really. Um, broad, hard to reverse decisions like tearing things down and and starting from scratch.
0: Well, I mean, if I, if I think, you know, we could boil this down to, to one thing, I think it ultimately comes down to the ego of the person who's inheriting, you know, not necessarily say any issues or details in the implementation itself. It comes down to the individual person um, when we've come in and seen someone, you know, do the, or we've been present when someone's come in and done the, you know, burn it to the ground approach. A lot of times it's not out of issue with the implementation. It It's the ego of the individual. Um, And it, it's almost like, you know, needing to, to shed the ego because, you know, the, your ego is telling you, you know, I, I need this done in my way. Um, and you may be trying to explain it as, um, I can only vouch for it if it's done my way, but ultimately it's like, I need this monument that, you know, is based on the way I want it to be. So I can leave my mark on the organization. Uh,
1: I, I definitely think that that can be part of it. Um, I think the other persona is, um, maybe has an ego play, but is often from a place of, of fear. And, and I think that may be, happening more often than we think and it's kind of masked as ego and and what i mean by that is sorry sorry sorry. wait someone say something
0: no i was just gonna say something are you saying like insecurity
1: um yeah insecurity is a great way to to put it um because oftentimes we're we're really stretching ourselves and this isn't true of just the digital analytics space it's true in general um When I left Omniture to take over uh, all of analytics and optimization at Spark Networks, I had been doing implementations at Omniture for three years and had convinced myself that I knew everything there was to know about analytics. And within like the first week of, you know, being in that new role, I was smacked upside the head and was like, you don't know anything. But I went into it thinking I knew. And and part of that was good. Like I needed to be stretched, but I got in there and I quickly understand that I didn't know. And there's one of two approaches you can take to that. You can take the I don't know approach but still be confident that you own this team and this space and this vision, but I don't know everything and I'm going to figure things out. Or unfortunately what we see most people do out of, out of insecurity and fear is they don't know and they mask that with ego and strength. And, and by burning things down and being very strong and this is how it works and this is the way it's going to, you know, this is the way we're going to do things. Um, that, that's usually coming not out of a place of strength, but uh, but out of a place of weakness. And, and, and that's just human nature. And I put a lot of blame on upper management for allowing that to happen, either not properly identifying that through the hiring process. And I'm not saying don't hire that person. I'm saying identify that as a risk and make sure that they feel super comfortable. And that's where I think there's a... a that's where this problem really becomes magnified because people often making the hiring decision for analytics, leave the analytics, um, managers, directors, whatever the title is on an Island. And they're kind of left to fend for themselves. And when they come in feeling vulnerable, feeling like, you know, I don't have all the answers and they need some guidance and mentorship from someone that understands how to address that when they're not given that they put up just a stronger wall. And, and again, I think the tearing it down and building it up oftentimes is less about leaving, um, a, a, an edifice to what they've, you know, to their legacy, but more about just a, a natural humanistic response to build protection around me because I,
0: I feel very vulnerable right now. I gotcha. Um, it's definitely a good perspective. Um, one I didn't necessarily think of. You know, I, I saw more of like the the outward ego part of it, but it's definitely something really good to think about. Yeah, and,
1: and and not to dismiss that point because I think that yeah. that definitely does. No, and come I didn't into think play. you were. Yeah. yeah, it that definitely yeah. comes into play. But I think oftentimes that that strong ego thing is is just a mask for something a bit more timid and, mm-hmm. and shy and scared underneath that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And so, and then that case to kind of start to put a bow on it, then, you know, in order to then deal with that, 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 that fear, that, that worry, um, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about, like the, the to-dos, the things, you know, that you should do, um, you know, having those conversations, reaching out, building those relationships within the org could help, you know, um, you know, prevent that from happening.
1: Yeah, so I think there there are three major things, and you mentioned the two the two really critical ones. Number one, coming in, um, and just doing an assessment of of what what do I have, what am I inheriting, what is the lay of the land, who are the key players, what software do we have in place, what people do we have in place internally, externally, just doing a full scale assessment of what do I have before I make any real critical decisions to change anything, uh, would be number one. As part of that and, and not separate is relationship building. And, and you mentioned, you know, having conversations. Um, so number two would be building relationships. So talking to as many people in the organization as I can talk to, uh, even if their role seems far outside of what I'm being asked to do talk to everybody because you never know who's going to open up and give you information that can truly be valuable to you. So talk to everybody. Uh, And as part of that, really understand what the business wants to do. So understand the business inside and out, not just from a requirement standpoint, but what is the business all about? What makes this business unique? What challenges will this business face that I am going to be looked to, to provide answers and insights into Uh, really start to ask a lot of those questions. And then the number three um, item that I would add to the list is to um, communicate, set your vision. Um, so even if you don't have all the answers, you have a vision, you have something that you want to create. You have a place that you want to take the business forward into. Uh, so be upfront in setting that vision and set the expectation, uh, early on that you're going to communicate, um, very clearly you're going to communicate often and you're going to involve others in this process, but ultimately you're, you're going to, to drive it. Um, So I think those three things for anyone inheriting a new implementation are are critical. Doing an assessment, um, listen, talking, but mostly listening, um, asking guided questions to get uh, insightful answers and then communicating your vision and plan.
0: And I couldn't put it any uh, better than that. So I think, um, you know, with that, it kind of wraps everything up nicely, um, unless there was anything anybody else wanted to add.
1: I think we are. Yeah, I think we're, we're good for today. It was a great conversation. And uh, as always with these conversations, I'm kind of keeping a mental list of tangents we go down that can make episodes full episodes them themselves. And so when we do that, I, I think that these end up being really good conversations because it, hopefully if it's, if it's spurring a lot of conversations, side conversations with us, that our listeners are also taking a lot of things away that, you know, they can go back to their organization or their group of, of uh, colleagues and friends and say, Hey, I, I heard these guys talking about, you know, X uh, on this episode of 33 tangents, and it starts a whole other conversation. So that's my kind of sappy hope that, when we get these, these episodes where we, we kind of go off on a lot of different topics that it's, it's really empowering and insightful for people to go off and further explore those conversations uh, on their own.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I think that that was really the, the Genesis for those whole thing. Just knowing what we talk about internally, we, we know other people have got to be having the same conversations Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, put put it out there and, you know, hopefully those that are listening, it's like, "Oh, I thought of that too." So, you know, again, the, I'm not the only one thinking about this.
1: Yeah. And you know, if, if anyone out there is really passionate about any of those things that we brought up, you know, I, I would like to offer an o- open invitation for them to, to come on our show. Now we, we don't do guests all the time. Um, we kind of sparingly bring on people, but our, I think it was our last episode we had Corey Spencer on from Adobe and it was wildly popular. And it also helps us to take a fresh perspective of things. We kind of get a, a different lens on things. So, um, you know, while that won't be our norm to do interview style, um, podcasts, if, if any of these things we're talking about are, are interesting and, uh, to people and that, you know, you have a real passion and you want to come on and talk about it, hit us up, you know, we'll, we'll be happy to, uh, to bring you on.
0: Definitely. Cool. So in that case, we'll go ahead and wrap up for today and, uh, we'll talk to everybody later. Thanks guys. Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents Podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.